Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio for 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we're on uh, Spotify and Stitcher and iTunes and everywhere you get podcasts. Uh, we keep you bang up to date, of course, on all things tech every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Joining me, as always, is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. And uh, lots of going on in the news today. Now, uh, one of them is a kind of a worldwide story that's focused on Ireland somewhat to do with Facebook. Ah, there's a couple of worldwide stories we're talking about this week. But yeah, let's start kind of local. Um, Facebook apparently has decided that it is going to introduce a tool that you can go to in your privacy settings that will stop websites outside of Facebook gathering information about you so it can sell, so they can sell stuff to you back within Facebook, right? So basically, you're on Facebook, you see a link for something, you click on that link, it takes you to another website, you go back into Facebook, all of a sudden you start seeing links for, you know, or ads for similar products, and you're like, how did that happen? Well, now if you uh, if you trip this uh, new tool, which is called, um, I think it's just called Offsite Activity, uh, or offsite activity monitor, um, you'll be able to disconnect that. So you will be able to visit things. You'll be able to click things from Facebook, go out to other sites, and you know places will be still be able to collect information on you, but that information will be anonymized. So instead of being able to go, oh, Dusty bought this, uh, maybe he'd like more of this. Instead, it will be user one two three four five six seven in Dublin went and bought this. We have no idea who this guy is, um, so we won't be able to target to him specifically in future. So the idea is that your information is anonymized. Um, and the only thing it will be good for from a company perspective uh, will be identifying broad trends. Here's the rub, though. Uh, you know the way I'm describing what's going to happen to this data and yada yada? Mm-hmm. That data is still going to be gathered. Ah, because I was thinking it was very interesting how they said uh, the actual words were clear history. Mm, and it wasn't yes. like delete. <laughs> yes. Stop, or not don't gather. Let happen. <laughs> Any of that kind of lark, like, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, uh, Facebook have said, look, if you're using our website, if you're using Instagram, if you're using Messenger, don't worry about it. Everything's cool. Um, the exact quote from a, a blog post by Facebook is, if you clear off your Facebook activity, we'll remove your identifying information from the data that apps and websites choose to send us. All right. OK. Now, this uh, the reason why everybody is looking at the world uh, or why the world is looking at Ireland on this is because Ireland is one of three countries who are getting it first. Yeah. Ireland, Spain and South Korea. Uh, now, we know that Facebook is in a whole bunch of trouble over here for um, reasons. Uh, Spain and South Korea, I don't know. Maybe there are similar pending investigations. Mm-hmm. Eh, I don't know. I have my um, own theory why, why Ireland was chosen. Okay, go ahead. Because Facebook's chief privacy officer is a lady called Erin Egan. Oh, ah, come on. Do you, reckon, do you reckon there's an Irish connection in there? Mm, mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's uh, uh, let's move on because there's another massive international story, and then of course everything that is going on in Hong Kong. 
And there's interesting things going on with Hong Kong and uh, social media and Twitter. Uh, yeah, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, now, we all know that uh, social networks were leveraged in the 2016 US presidential election um, to uh, target vulnerable people with messages that would get them out to vote and vote in a particular way. Um, now we are seeing, I don't know if it's similar tactics, but we're certainly seeing um, a state actor, in this case China, looking to influence what is happening in Hong Kong. Uh, as we know, Hong Kong has been subject, has had demonstrations that have brought out people, you know, at least a million people at this stage onto the streets protesting um, the moves to make it easier to extradite people from Hong Kong to China. Uh, I think that's the nub of it. I'm uh, open to it. correction. Um, and uh, Twitter has identified 936 accounts that were accused of stoking division, possibly saying things like, and I'm clutching at straws here, you know, protesters in Hong Kong are bringing disrepute into their country. Protesters, you know, protest. China actually has a point in what, what they're trying to do in Hong Kong, etc., etc. All this kind of thing. So Twitter I was able to identify, identify accounts working within China where, guess what, it's, it's meant to be banned mm-hmm. um, and uh, have been shutting down these accounts. Uh, similarly with Facebook, uh, they have found accounts uh, within China posting about Hong Kong. Uh, again, they're able to go... Um, we're not meant to have any users in China. Uh, it's it's going to be fairly easy to uh, to pull these things down. Now, the other side of it is that China has said, well, OK, um, if you're going to mess with us, uh, we're going to mess with you. And uh, Facebook in particular, because you t- apparently there are a lot of companies based in China advertising through Facebook to foreign markets. Right. Okay. So. Uh, you will have, I don't know, is, is I wish a um, Chinese company? Uh, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Alibaba, wish, is, is, isn't that one? Uh, Alibaba, but we don't have Alibaba. Um, anyway, you get the idea. I get if the idea, yeah. Chinese, yeah. Chinese companies who are exporting are using Facebook to advertise their wares around the world. Even yeah, though Facebook yeah. is not available, strictly speaking, in China is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, at all in China. Well, unless you're using VPN. And, and even at that, I think they're quite good at, uh, at, at locking it down. I find it actually quite interesting that the VPN service I use is based in Hong Kong. <laughs> I'm, I'm only after remembering that. It's like, ah, okay. But I won't is, press you it, on which it, services you're using uh, VPN for. Um, it is interesting, though, uh, that you see all of the accusation of Russia meddling with the American elections, which, of course, they deny. But then there's the whole thing about Facebook or Russia placing ads on Facebook, which nobody seems to have denied. I could be completely yeah. wrong on that. Uh, and now we've got uh, the thing where China is now placing ads on Twitter and Facebook in order to, you know, tell the story deliberately one way. Well, or or even cheaper, just get a troll farm to do it for you. Uh, mm. Pay people, you know, cents for tweet, that it's, kind of thing. Yeah, do you know what? It's back to... The, to it wasn't easy, uh, you know, kind of decades ago where you had, because it cost so much money to run a news organization or a newspaper or a broadcasting radio television station, whatever it happens to be, news was reputable. Well, let's not go nuts. I mean, every newspaper has an agenda. Uh, you well, can no, look no, at The yes, Guardian they and have you know an, what you're getting. Okay, they, so they have an agenda, but if you buy into that agenda. But what I'm saying mm. is we're being hit from all kinds of angles with stuff that looks 
legitimate, but isn't. Yeah. And, I you think, know, and it can be easy to believe sometimes. Yeah, well, we are at a stage where we have a crisis of legitimacy, yes. where things that look like news aren't. Things that, you know, even if you buy a newspaper over here with an agenda, you know you're buying a newspaper and that you'll have a slant, but there is a, a some sort of basis in fact, right? Granted, facts that might be cherry-picked to suit a certain agenda or ideology, but facts are none the same. There's uh, And there are watchdogs in place to make sure that happens. When it comes to the internet, um, something can look like a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be. Um, it doesn't have to be regulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything, and you can say whatever you want. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and the crazy thing is that governments are directly putting these online. Yep, yep. And, know, and, anyways, anyways, that's a, that's a, 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 a we, we've got the headline there with a, a Twitter, Facebook being uh, used and we're running out of time. So I want to get on to our two last stories of the day to do with my best friends at Apple. Yep, yeah, okay. One is to do with um, a security flaw in iOS. Mm. Don't go nuts if you downloaded uh, a jailbroken version of iOS 12.3 and proceeded to download a jailbroken version of iOS 12.4. Guess what? The security hole that was in 12.3 has migrated to 12.4. And the, the hole that I'm referring to is, uh, oddly enough, it was discovered by Google. Um, in 12.3, it was the ability for a malicious application to execute uh, arbitrary code within system privileges, basically the ability to take control of your phone hmm. through a dodgy app. Uh, of course, this requires your phone to be jailbroken. Um, and uh, because it's so you can download a dodgy app in the first place, ah, so as okay. we all know, apps are vetted uh, when they get in before they get into iTunes in the first place. So if you've been downloading apps from an app store that isn't iTunes uh, and you've been using software on your phone that has been jailbroken, then you might have a problem. Grant, so you need to uh, look after that. And then the other thing with Apple is they have finally announced uh, what we're going to be getting on the new version of Apple TV coming uh, after the autumn. Apple TV Plus, uh, the streaming service nobody wanted, but we're getting anyway. Uh, depending <laughs> on where you are, it's launching either on the 12th or 19th of November. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to cost nine ninety nine a month. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to square up against Disney Plus, which is going to be six ninety nine per month. Mm-hmm. Now, let, let's weigh up the pros and cons here. Um, there, there's a couple of interesting things happening. One is, what way are they going to release shows that will be different from Netflix, right? Netflix, as we all know, they just binge everything in one go. There you go there's our TV show Um, HBO in contrast do one episode a week Apple are thinking of well maybe we'll do three shows and then one a week thereafter which I don't think is a bad way to do things Mm. it's just enough to get into a show before you before you crack on Um, Disney Plus I'm not sure which way they're going Um, however let's look at the catalogue shall we Uh, Disney Plus will have Marvel and Star Wars Apple TV Plus not (laughs) They will have a limited slate of their own stuff um, and they will have a couple of original shows. Amazing Stories, which is an, an anthology show that Steven Spielberg was involved in uh, in the 80s. I think it only lasted one season on its initial run, but it's being brought back. And a little something called The Morning Show that you're interested in. Uh, well, The Morning Show, I, I'm interested in this and it's only available to subscribers of Apple TV Plus and it's set on a broadcast news programme on television in the States. Uh, and so, I mean, that's... A, one thing of interest, the storyline is, is of interest to me, but look who's starring in it. Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston. 
do you know what? When you said that cast to me, I was like, God, there's got to be more people in there because this is this thing is super expensive, isn't it? Very well. We were talking about this before we came on the air, and it cost three hundred million to do the first two series. And actually, you know, um, uh, Netflix are spending something in the region of eight billion on content. They're not on spending a lot of content on a lot of content. That's what, but that's what I'm saying. Whereas this is a tentpole show. So uh, how many episodes will they buy? So let's say 10 well, they've, episodes they've, per they've season. Done, they've done two, se- two seasons already. It's, it's in okay, the Okay, let's, let's break down the, the money then, okay? So we'll say they made 20 episodes, right? For 300 million. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so $300 per show, all right, brings it up to, say, a uh, thousand euro. And uh, then the rest goes on Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell and Jennifer Anderson's salaries. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess when you break down the money, it's not as awful as it sounds. But still, I mean, back back in the day, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation used to cost two million dollars to make. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm not too worried about the numbers. I'm just what I'm interested in is that uh, they've managed to get stars of that caliber uh, to do a show that will be exclusive for Apple TV. And I'm wondering how long it will take Apple then to release that then to other services or onto TV so that it will gain a wider audience because that's well, how you make money out of uh, TV series and programs. They, they might just keep it streaming. Get more people buying those Apple TV boxes. You never know. Anyway, we'll wait and see. Uh, all the interesting news, though, uh, this week with Facebook and Twitter and China and Apple and all that kind of stuff. Uh, now, thanks for keeping us up to date. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Last year, the Digital Hub began its first artist-in-residence program and has just followed that up with its first technologist-in-residence, who is Rowan Hickey. Rowan has 20 years' experience in the technology sector at home and abroad and with startup and multinational level as well. Most recently, he has acted as CTO of Biz Simply and regularly volunteers as a teacher of tech skills to teenagers. Now, I met up with Rowan at his office in the Digital Hub and he began by asking what the role of technologist in in residence is all about. See, there's a, there's a few parts to it. So, um, I mean, number one is that being a technologist in residence in a completely um, technology, in a technology hub, the digital hub is the largest cluster of digital media and technology companies in the country. And um, so it's full of technologists here, whereas, you know, we're not full of artists. So having an artist here is something novel, uh, whereas saying that I'm the the technologist that you can come to with uh, to answer your technical questions is um, a bit of a, a big sell to people. But the the role for me is about joining people together, being able to have technical conversations with the um, developers and programmers who work in the in the companies here in the digital hub, um, and being able to um, see commonalities between those companies where maybe companies should be working uh, together more if they're working on similar technologies. Um, but also in the uh, working with the community. So the Digital Hub has, um, is a strong partner with the, the local community and runs community and education initiatives here in Dublin 8. And uh, so part of being technologist in residence will be working with alongside the existing programmes, bringing more technology to it if possible and bringing more um, emerging technology such as 3D printing and virtual reality um, to the area so that people can come in and experience those things. Those two technologies are very much the... 
poster children, I suppose, for emerging tech as as we know it now. So. When you're, I don't want to quite say pitching, but demonstrating uh, new applications of VR and 3D printing, is there a sense of these are technologies that integrate organically into things you're doing already? Or is it a case of going, here's virtual reality, it's sort of a thing unto itself, everybody's going to want to be into it in a few years' time? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit of both. And um, like in some ways, there's kind of more innovation in this digital hub per square foot than possibly anywhere else in the country. Um, so, you know, from the point of view of a lot of the companies here, that if, you know, there's companies working on our emerging technology and working on how to bring that to market or how to make products based on it. Um, but it's, it's still interesting to um, allow companies that aren't working on 3D printing for, for their employees to be able to experiment with this technology, to ask questions and to play with it. But I think for people that are working here in technology companies, but maybe not necessarily in tech themselves. So, you know, there's accountants and marketing and um, people that aren't in, you know, traditional technology roles like programmers. But because they're working in a tech company, they're in the digital hub that, you know, from their family and friends point of view, that they are the, you know, the technology experts. So um, I like the idea of, yeah, everybody at least having the opportunity to experience, um, say, virtual reality, for example. So when somebody says, you know, hey, should I get this headset or what's virtual reality about? You work in a technology company that they're able to say, well, yes, I played with it in the office last week. Um, and similarly for the community part of it, that it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of the poster child thing of sober people because people are hearing about these technologies or they're seeing about them on TV, but to actually see it in real life and to know that there's somewhere that they can come to ask more questions if they're curious about it. Like, I think it's brilliant that you can go to kids in a school and say, you know, okay, children, this is 3D printing, and people will say, oh, yeah, we already know about it because we saw it here or we saw it in the library or we saw it in different places. So having that technology so while there are already stem programs and teaching technology uh, to children programs going on that it's you know the, the more of that that happens and the more that people feel that they can access it that because they live in Dublin 8 because this center of technology is here that they get to take advantage of that and to come and play and learn about the technology I think the role of the technologist, I think, is particularly uh, novel and interesting in that, in the same way that you had the artist in residence going, oh, your technology, what does it mean? Your your role is very much in the same mould, only instead of, uh, you know, d- doing something quite abstract, your role is uh, a little bit more concrete, I get the impression. Um, yeah, I think, you know, parts of it are in a way, but like every day or every week is different in a way in that um, you know we'll, we'll say to the client companies here that um, you know I'm here to talk about technology if you want I'm a, an experienced um, CTO of a startup I've worked in multinationals I, I've you know I don't have all the answers or, or a lot of the answers to things but I can understand people's problems so when somebody comes and talks about um say at the, at the moment a very specific example is where there's new banking regulation that's going to come into force um, 
in September that will affect a lot of the, the companies here um, in some way. So um, being able to get together the people from the affected companies and to say, look, you know, you process credit cards, um, come and talk to each other and I'll facilitate a conversation between you to see how you might work together to, to solve this real business problem that you have and real technology problem. Um, so that's very much a, you know, that's kind of similar to my previous role as being chief technology officer of a company. Um, but then the next bit might be just that general conversation of where somebody says, you know, like, I wonder, would artificial intelligence be something that we could use in our business and being able to, you know, stand back and do some kind of facilitate some blue sky thinking of, you know, well, what would it mean for the future of healthcare? Um, that. It's uh, so you know. It's every every day is different. Do you think there is an absence of that sort of blue sky thinking that people are focusing on very specific problems with their startup or their scale up, as is the mm. case in, in the digital hub, and they lose sight of maybe that bigger picture, that slightly uh, askew application, um, that you know there isn't the sense of a, a technology being having wider applications than maybe it is conceived of um, yeah I think I mean I wouldn't say there's a lack of it and again I mean I wouldn't um, you know pretend to have all the answers to this that it's if um, you know somebody they, they do need to if somebody has started with a, a startup they've already you know done all of these years of focusing 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 on a on a market and an exact problem that they're solving and something that works so you know that's very important for people to to concentrate on but at the same time there's people within that business who have ideas or you know like oh wouldn't it be great if we applied this to some other industry um, so allowing people to explore that is important and um, I guess, I mean, a lot of companies would have hackathons or internal like events um, just to keep their developers interested or to keep the, the teams interested. So while they're still focusing on their core mission, um, that they can explore these other avenues. Um, and I think, there's, I mean, there's also bigger companies here, like there are some multinationals based here or smaller parts of them, but they... Um, bigger companies tend to have uh, innovation labs and innovation teams and big R&D um, parts of the company that can explore these other avenues and that people can can go if they're interested in, or, you know, if they have an idea of, you know, hey, could our product work for some different field? Um, and so there is a lack of that, I think, yeah, for, um, for startups and for companies to be able to kind of have that outlet. So to have... Um, an innovation space that they can come that's, you know, it's not taking away from their work day, but it's still somewhere that they can explore some ideas and get it out of their system, if nothing else, so that they can um, spend the rest of their time focused on the mission. You touched there on the idea or on, on the areas of working in multinationals versus startups. Um, do you think there is this sort of cultural gulf between the two, or do you think uh, developers and designers, etc., are quite happy, quite happy working in both, and there's not much of a, 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 a culture shift involved? Um, I think um, it's a bit of both, really, and that I think I mean there's a lot of fluidity now. I mean, people change jobs a lot more often these days than they did in the past. I mean, a job. 
in a multinational is no longer considered a, a job for life and people will you know change their jobs and the um, multinationals in Ireland um, and foreign direct investment the American multinationals especially have you know contributed so much here in this um, I mean in my own career where I've worked in AOL and Microsoft and SAP and taken what I've learned from there about management, about product development, about um, processes um, and been able to take that and then work with smaller companies or with startups and to apply that knowledge um, there for, for a while and you know so it's just kind of a bigger, a bigger ecosystem where people move from one to the other. Um, and also in the, the larger companies that they will have um, like internal innovation projects of where you know they look and they see well startups are able to move a lot faster and um, you know why is it taking us two years to develop this feature when some other startup is able to have uh, you know written a whole app in six months that kills our whole market so um, you know looking at the the different management styles and different ways to enable that so like there are I mean pretty much all of the the bigger multinationals have a, a little startup internal startup wing where they'll um, fund internal startups and let you run your team like a startup so um, yeah there's definitely uh, definitely overlaps and, and some differences so again just to come back to the idea of being an advocate and reaching out to the to um, Dublin 8 and, and one imagines to sort of the, the broader country eventually but mm-hmm. uh, Dublin 8 being being where you're starting um, the area has always embraced technology uh, I think it's fair to say be it you know at a classroom level or at a creative level mm-hmm. how do you find the appetite is in the area for wanting to embrace new and emerging technologies is it a case of it's it's no longer a specified interest it's just something that complements what kids are doing already um, yeah well I think I mean certainly like kids everywhere these days have access to a lot more technology than uh, than when I was uh, when I was young and had to make my own technology or take things apart to, to create my own fund that you know everybody has access to smartphones and access to um, to YouTube and um, can can explore things um, and but the, but there is that appetite for it. I think that something that's in Dublin 8 where there's a number of um, DASH uh, designated uh, disadvantaged schools um, that something that's different that while there's coder dojos and and various organisations that um, allow children to come and explore technology so if somebody is interested in coding they can go to an after school club or to a coder dojo Um, a lot of those things require a family member to bring you and require you to bring a laptop and that that isn't something necessarily that every child in the country has access to so um, something that the Digital Hub does is uh, running uh, various education initiatives so for um, with local schools of where they will have coding clubs where all of the equipment and supervision and everything is provided um, and uh, that that's I think you know something that's really important that it's like children everywhere are interested in technology if, if they're interested in it and um, and in creating things and in that 
kind of spark of where you know I'm not just consuming technology but I'm able to make something myself or you know make my own game and then getting more into the the idea of creating the game and not so much into playing it anymore um, that that part of things so being able to open up that access to everybody um, is really important and that was Niall Kitson chatting with the technologist in residence at the Digital Hub, who is Rowan Hickey. That's almost our show for this week. Just before we go, Niall, uh, one more story that's on the website that we just couldn't get to in the podcast today. What is it? Yeah, well, you might remember a little thing called Edge. Uh, it's just about ready for prime time again with a little help from Google. Ooh, remember you can get the lowdown on that and all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more on our website at techcentral.ie and of course you can listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall, thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at Tech central.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech Central